It was into this dark and broken world that God sent his son, his only son, the son that he loved to bring us joy. And so alongside the candle for hope, As your righteousness stands before the nation, my testimony will be forever. Your spirit is upon me. Your covenant is with me. And your mercy is toward me. From generation to generation, your heart, O Lord, has been near to the oppressed crying out for good news, the brokenhearted longing, for healing, the captives yearning for freedom, and the prisoners desperate for their pardon. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have not rejected or ignored our tears. You have looked with favor on your lowly servants. You have planted us as oaks of righteousness to display your glory you have restored laughter to our mouths and joy to our tongues from heaven to earth your son came to bless all who believe with a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning a mantle of praise instead of of a faint spirit, a harvest with shouts of joy. Until your return, my whole being will rejoice always in my God. Through Christ, my body will remain blameless. Because of Christ, my soul will magnify the Lord. And in Christ, my spirit will be kept sound. Church, would you make your prayer with me this morning? Father, we thank you for Jesus having come into this world to bring us joy, inexpressible, abiding, full joy, the kind of joy that this world cannot give us and no one in this world can take away. And Father, I pray this morning that you would fill us with the Spirit of Christ, that we would know what that joy is is supposed to be. That, Father, we would be filled with that joy as we leave this place and walk through not only the remainder of the Christmas season, but, Father, the remainder of our lives and until Jesus comes again, make us joy-filled people. Father, I'm asking you for a miraculous work of your resurrection power, that you would raise up the people in this fellowship to be the most joy-filled people in this community. Give us joy in Jesus, God. And give our lives to be a gift to the people around us. Lord, would you give the spouses in this room 
a spouse that's filled with joy. May there be husbands who are joy-filled husbands and wives who are joy-filled wives today. Give the children of this fellowship parents who are filled with joy and parents, Father, I pray, would receive children who are filled with joy. God, may we know by the power of Christ in us the joy that Jesus came to bring at Christmas. Be exalted in your word as we look to Jesus today. It's in Christ's name we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, of all the four Advent themes, I, I think that the theme of joy may be the one theme that most represents Christmas in my mind. You see, as long as I can remember, I have always found great joy in the Christmas season. I have just always enjoyed Christmas. I enjoy the music of Christmas. There is, there's that thing that happens in me when I hear Nat King Cole sing the Christmas song. That's as close to musical perfection as I can even think of. And when I get to heaven, I'm firmly convinced that I'm going to open my mouth and out will come Nat King Cole's voice. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. I enjoy the music of Christmas. I enjoy the, the movies of Christmas. I get a little choked up every year when the Grinch's small heart grows three sizes in one day. It's awesome. I also root as though I've never seen the movie before I root with all of my heart for little Ralphie to get his uh, Red Rider range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and that thing that tells time. I also feel like George Bailey is a close personal friend of mine. And let this serve as your annual reminder to make sure you watch It's a Wonderful Life. I say it every year and every year I find out that friends of mine have never seen that movie. And I'm talking about Darwin Fletcher. Darwin, you have to see that. Goodness gracious, lady. I enjoy the season of Christmas, the decorations, the movies, the music. I I enjoy driving around looking at lights. I enjoy the various nativity scenes. I just enjoy the season of Christmas. It's a season of joy for me. But I must admit that as time goes by, it has felt more and more difficult to recapture the joy of Christmas. You see, the darkness of our world doesn't take a break in November and December, does it? The the brokenness of our world just awakens us each day as we read the headlines. As a matter of fact, every year seems to add new reasons to grieve. Friends and loved ones pass away and the Christmas season is a reminder there will be an empty seat around the table this year. As we look around the world, new wars and conflicts seem to arrive. Some of them between nations, others between the members of our own families and the result of all that brokenness and the residue of the darkness and sin of our world over time means that we find ourselves on a day like today, starting a service like this, singing joy to the world, but realizing that we feel at times like we're losing the fight for joy in our own lives. And so this morning, is a morning that's special to my heart. A desire that I have in my own life to have a joy that Jesus came to bring and to see that in you as well. And here's what I pray we'll do. That we'll look at the word of God and see a passage of scripture that teaches us about the joy that Jesus came to bring. And my hope is that God will stir our hearts to reframe our understanding of what that joy actually means and how we can live in it. Not only this Christmas, but in the 
days that lie ahead. And so with that, let's look at the word of God for us today in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll start reading in verse 3 through verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with great joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for our study today. And you might remember that two weeks ago we began our Advent series by looking at verses 3 through 5. I just want to remind you that Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians who have been undergoing great persecution in their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Many of these believers have lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. Many have lost their families or at least have been uh, disengaged and distanced from their families as they were disowned for following Jesus. They've lost their sense of community. And Peter reminds these believers walking through such an unimaginable suffering that they are able to have hope even in the midst of their suffering because of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, because they have that hope in Jesus, they can rejoice in him as well. Verse eight says that we are able to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Guys, how much would you like to be so joyful that you couldn't even express it into words? I'll take some of that, please, right? I'd love some joy that was so joyful I couldn't even express it. Verse 8 says, we're able to live with inexpressible joy, and the way that we enter that is through the love And faith we'd have in Jesus. That's what verse 8 says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So he's saying this. As we love and believe in Jesus, we are able to rejoice with inexpressible joy that's filled with glory. That's the main point of verses six through nine. That's our big idea for today. Jesus gives inexpressible joy to those who love and trust him. Jesus gives inexpressible joy to those who love and trust him. And brothers and sisters, I have been praying for you all week. I've been praying for us that we would walk out of this place knowing and experiencing by the power of God's spirit in us What it looks like to have that. An inexpressible joy that comes from loving and trusting Jesus. And so here's what I want to do in the remainder of our time together. I want to walk through our text and I just want to see what this passage teaches us about the inexpressible joy of Jesus. And here's the first thing we see. The inexpressible joy of Jesus is unique. Here's why I say that. The word joy that's there in verse 8 
comes from a Greek word that just means the experience of gladness. It's a response to something that's favorable or good. For instance, when you get a call from your doctor saying that you have a clean bill of health, that's good news and you're glad to hear it. And the experience of that gladness is joy. That's all the word joy means. The experience of gladness that's the response to something good, something favorable. So that word that's translated joy, it actually represents a very common understanding and use of the word joy, not only in English, but also in the original language of the Bible. But one thing that's not very easy to see as you're reading your English Bibles is that the word there in verses 6 and 8 that's rejoice, that that word rejoice translates a word that is not a common Greek word. As a matter of fact, it's a word that wasn't even used by secular writers in ancient Greek literature because it's a word that is only associated with the deep joy that you find in God and what God has done. In other words, Peter is reminding us that Jesus came to bring us a unique kind of joy. He came to help us experience the kind of joy and gladness that you can't get from anyone else. But him, and I've got to tell you, that's been a very helpful thing for me as I've considered the joy I can expect to find in Christ. You see, I think many of us visualize joy to be something like the celebration dance after our favorite team scores a touchdown. Do you guys dance after your team scores? I do, and it's ugly and gross, but it's joyful. And I think many of us think that's what joy must look like in Jesus or even more dancing and more shouting. And when we get that visualization that that must be joy and nothing else but that can be joy, we can feel everything from disappointment to disillusionment when that's not always our experience of joy in Jesus. We might be expecting something that Jesus actually never promised to give. Because he didn't promise to give the common everyday at a football game experienced joy of this world. He is promising to give us a different kind of joy, a unique kind of joy. That actually brings me to the next description of joy that we see in our text. The inexpressible joy of Jesus is able to accompany grief. Look at verse 6. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved By various trials. Peter points out these believers rejoice even though they have been walking through various trials that have brought them grief. And the way this verse is written in the original language indicates that both of those things were happening at the same time. That they weren't happy about not having jobs. They weren't happy about not having a place to live. They weren't happy about the persecution that had cost their friends and some of their loved ones their lives. They weren't happy. They were grieved over those things. And at the same time, Peter's saying, they were rejoicing with a unique and inexpressible joy that only Jesus brings. They were doing both of those things at the same time. They were grieving and rejoicing. And that's one of the ways that the joy of Jesus differs from the joy of this world. It's not the one-dimensional, shallow joy that we get from sports or entertainment or the superficial stuff around us. It's a deep and abiding, sometimes sober joy. A joy that can handle the dark and difficult things of this world. A joy that allows us 
to grieve the things that are grievous. As a matter of fact, it's the kind of joy that Jesus lived with while he was on this earth. Let me tell you what I mean. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying he lived with a full, a deep, abiding joy, a fullness of joy. And that joy is the joy he promised to give to us, the unique joy that the recipients of Peter's letter had. In the next chapter, though, Jesus says in John 16, 22, that that kind of full joy that he had and wanted to give away was the kind of joy that no one in the world could take away. So Jesus had a full abiding joy that would never be taken away by the things, the events of this world or the events of his life. Do you know the very next thing that Jesus did after he said that though? He entered the garden of Gethsemane. And he labored in prayer over the suffering that he was about to experience at the cross. He anguished in the garden to the point of sweating drops of blood. He asked the Father to allow the cup of suffering to pass from him. Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You see in the life of Christ that the full joy of Jesus is able to accompany grief. And here's the reason why I feel compelled to dig into this for just a second. It's because many of us have been given such an unbiblical idea of joy that we feel guilty or disillusioned by the grief and sadness that are a part of our hearts. And that can throw us into a spiritual or an emotional tailspin. Because when we are grieved and we are sad, there are times that we're tempted to believe we must not be experiencing the life that Jesus promised to give because We're saddened by the events of our world or the brokenness of our lives. And many of us struggle with Christmas because we don't experience the frenetic, manic episodes our world says must be the kind of joy we would have in Jesus. And you need to hear what I'm saying. The joy that Jesus brings isn't an escape from reality and it isn't a state of denial It isn't a perpetually manic state of shouting and laughter. Sad things are sad. Grievous things should be grieved. As you look around our world, you should be grieved by what you see. Let me give you an example. The moral collapse of America is a grievous thing and should be grieved. And I know many of you are grieving it. The decay of our culture, as you read the headlines, the same as I, the decay of our culture, the darkness of the world, the suffering of our own specific lives are grievous things that we are right to mourn. And so the joy that Jesus brings is not a joy that calls us to escape from reality or live in a state of denial. It allows us to grieve and at the same time, Jesus wants in the midst of that grief, in the midst of the sadness that marks all of our lives to some point and extent. He wants to give you an experience of gladness today that cannot and is not negated by the very real presence of grief. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but let's keep moving through the rest of our big idea. The inexpressible joy of Jesus is experienced by those who love and trust him. Look at verse 8. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter joins loving and believing Jesus together. Now, next week is the week for love. So we're going to talk a little bit more or a whole lot more about love next week. But the reality is this. What Peter is saying is you cannot believe Jesus the way he's talking about in this text without loving Jesus. The two go together. The thing that causes you to believe in Jesus, like we'll talk about in just a minute, those truths are the same truths that stir your heart to love Jesus as a response to his love for you. And so you can't separate loving Jesus and believing in him. We'll talk more about love next week. But the word believe there is the verb form of the word faith. And what that means is it means to believe in a way that trusts in and depends on and rests one's confidence in. It's believing truth in a way that causes you to depend and rest upon that truth or the person pointed to by that truth. There's an old illustration I'm sure most of you have heard. Uh, One day a reporter decided to write a story about a famous tightrope walker. The the, the reporter climbed up the platform where the tightrope walker was performing and he wanted to get a closer look to see this guy's ability and the performer went back and forth on that tightrope several times doing some tricks along the way. At one point, somehow he even produced a wheelbarrow, rolled it across the tightrope back and forth He put a trained dog in the wheelbarrow, walked it back and forth, and then concluded his show. He sat up there on the platform with the wheelbarrow and the reporter, and he answered some questions that the reporter had for him about what it was like to walk on the tightrope. And after answering those questions, the tightrope walker actually decided to ask the reporter a question. He said, do you believe that I could carry you across that tightrope in that wheelbarrow and the reporter who just witnessed him do that feat without any issue whatsoever said, of course, I believe you could do that. To which the performer replied, then get in the wheelbarrow. And that's the difference, guys, between believing facts and believing in a way that trusts in and depends on and rests one's confidence in. Because when you, when you believe Jesus, it means you get in. And you trust him, you depend on him, you rest your confidence in him. And in that way, here's what Peter's doing. He is showing us that joy and hope go hand in hand. Do you remember what the definition was we gave you a couple weeks ago for biblical hope? It's a confident expectation for our future good. That's what the first part of our text was all about. It's about the good that Jesus is going to bring to those who trust in him. First Peter 1, 4 and 5 says this, We are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, because of Jesus, we can be confident. We can have hope. We can be confident that we will inherit an eternal reward that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is kept for us by the power of God. That's talking about heaven itself. Verse 5 says that we're guarded. We are guarded. We're kept safe 
until Jesus delivers us from every form of brokenness, every sinful, dark, and difficult thing of this world. He will save us from everything we need to be saved from. That's the hope, the confident expectation that we have in Christ. And he says this, 1 Peter, having that hope brings us joy. That's what verse 6 says. In this... And the hope you have in Jesus, you rejoice. We rejoice in the hope we have in Jesus, even in the midst of our grief. A little over a month ago, Pastor Mark and I visited with Mike Coco and his wife, Eva, and their daughter. Mike was at the end of a long battle that he'd been in with cancer. and We knew going into that house that day that Mike would be going home to be with Jesus in just a, a matter of a couple days as we sat there in his living room, Pastor Mark and I and Mike and Eva and Brenna, we, we talked about what was happening. We talked about what was to come. And there was grief in that room, no doubt. All of us knew what was taking place. All of us knew what the next couple of days were going to hold. And all of us, in our own various vantage point, grieved as we said our earthly goodbyes to a man that we dearly and deeply loved. There was grief. And at the exact same time, there was hope. There was joy. No one was dancing around. No one was shouting. Mike was the closest one of all of us to that. But there was a deep and sober joy in that room. It's hard to describe that joy. You could almost say it was inexpressible joy, but it was there. Because of Jesus, we looked at each other in the eye and we knew this. We would see each other again. We looked each other in the eye and said without hesitation that Mike would be seeing Jesus face to face by the end of the week. And that was a glorious thought. We knew that he would be healed, not maybe in the way that we had asked God, but he would be healed fully and freely and forever of his cancer and delivered from his sickness and sadness and the broken decay of this world. And all of us in that living room rejoiced together because of the hope we have in Jesus. The hope of Jesus brought us inexpressible joy in the midst of our grief. And a couple weeks later, just like we thought we would, we gathered in the chapel at Mike's memorial service. And there was grief and sadness there too. We mourned the death of a really good man. And you know what? There was joy as well. We all sat with sober hearts that were filled with joy and we rejoiced at a great thought that while we sat in that chapel, Mike Coco danced in the presence of Jesus, healthy and whole and better off than we have ever been. Because we in that moment were trusting in Jesus, grief did not nullify our joy and our joy did not disregard our grief. And that is the inexpressible joy that Jesus came to bring. A joy that is stronger than death and sorrow and sickness and pain and the darkness and decay of this world. A joy that comes from having the hope that only Jesus can bring. A hope that is greater and living and active even in the face and beyond the presence of death death itself. And here's what I want us to do as we close. I want to show you several promises of Jesus in this text that bring us the inexpressible joy in the midst of our suffering as we trust 
and depend on, believe in Jesus for these promises to be true. Here's the first one. The inexpressible joy of Jesus comes from believing that the fire isn't forever. Verse 6 says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter says the fiery trials of this life will not last forever. Verse 6 says they are here for a little while. And he's kind of using a parenting trick there because he's not giving us an actual time frame. How long will it take, mom? A little while. That's not pinning her down to any specific time frame. It's just letting her know it won't be quite as long as you feel or quite as long as you expect. And what Peter's saying is that in comparison with eternity, our time on this old fallen planet is just going to be a, a little while. Life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment. It fades away and our trials The Bible said, we'll fade away with it. The way my mom would say it is, this too shall pass, son. This too shall pass. And there's joy in knowing that. You know, there's a lot of joy in knowing that the fiery trial won't last forever. I'll give you an illustration. I hate going to the dentists. No offense to the dentists in the room, but I hate going to your place of work. I don't know how you do it. I hate sitting in the chair looking at instruments that they put right by my face. Instruments that appear to be designed not only to extract my teeth, but to extract state secrets from prisoners of war. I hate it. The whole time. I hate it. And the whole time I'm sitting there, look at that instruments that are going to go in that mouth of mine. I remind myself, Titus, it'll all be over soon. It'll all be over soon. I'm glad when I think about the fact it'll all be over soon. And that's sort of like the joy that Peter says we have in Jesus. Our hope is one day Jesus will deliver us from all of the mess of this world. Go through the headlines that threaten to rob your joy and just say, that's coming to an end. That will not last forever. Jesus will have the final word. He will wipe away every tear from your eye and there will be no more sickness or sadness or sorrow or pain. The former things will have passed away and he will have made all things new, including you. Guys, we're going to enter a kingdom that is ruled by the prince of peace and not the politicians of Washington. Aren't you glad about that? Well, let that gladness bring you joy. He is going to rule in righteousness and not the upside down philosophies of this age. Aren't you glad about that? Well, let that gladness bring you joy. His glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and we will reign with him. Aren't you glad about that? Well, let that gladness bring you joy. Believe that the fiery trials won't last forever and rejoice in that hope. Our king is coming and the trials will be over and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? Well, let the gladness bring you joy. I don't know what you're going through today. I really don't. And I know that there are many in this place, some who are even watching us online, who are walking through the darkest days of your life. And I hope you know that when we talk about the joy that Jesus came to bring, it doesn't negate the sadness and the difficulty and the grief that is in your life today. That Jesus knows and has borne with you As he suffered in your place. I don't know what you're walking through. But I do know this. 
If you are trusting in Jesus, the fiery trial won't last forever. It'll all be over soon. Jesus is coming again and he's on his way to rescue you. The inexpressible joy of Jesus not only comes from believing that the fire isn't forever, it comes from believing that the pain isn't pointless. Look at verse 7. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. He says, so that, because it's referring to the reason for the testing. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says one of the reasons that God would deem it necessary for us to walk through the trials of this life is that when we suffer, the genuineness of our faith is able to be tested and revealed. Another way of saying that is that a purpose for our pain is to prove that our faith is real. Guys, the difficult trials of life expose what we truly believe. And that's why trials are necessary. They press in and expose what we truly believe. Not so that God can see it, he already knows, but so that we can know it. And when we walk through trials and we find that we are still trusting in Jesus, even in the midst of the pain and the darkness and the confusion, when our heart says, I still believe and Father, help my unbelief, he says here that we can rejoice even in the midst of that suffering because we have something more precious than gold. Namely, we have evidence that our faith in Jesus is real. And the reason why that's so precious is that every single blessing of God in Christ comes to us on the basis of faith. It's by faith that we receive what verse 9 describes as the salvation of our souls, the outcome of our faith. 1 Peter 1.5 says that it's by faith in Jesus that we're guarded by the power of God. Galatians 2.20 says it's by faith in Jesus that we live the Christian life by the power of Christ living in us. Hebrews 11.6 says that it's by faith in Jesus that we are found to be completely pleasing to God the Father. Hebrews 4 tells us it's by faith in Jesus we enter into the spiritual rest that God has for his people. Every blessing of God through Jesus comes to us through faith. We will literally inherit heaven and earth on the basis of faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So friend, your pain isn't pointless Because it's allowed by God to show whether or not you're actually trusting in Jesus. And when you see that you're continuing in faith by his grace in the midst of your grief and your pain, you have reason to rejoice because you have something more precious than gold. Namely, you have every blessing that comes by being found in Jesus Christ. So friend, as you walk through the difficulty of your life, Rejoice. Rejoice that you're trusting in Jesus. Rejoice that the pain is exposing the fact that your faith is real and the fiery darts of the enemy haven't extinguished your faith in Jesus, which means you are set to receive every blessing that Jesus has to give. And that brings me to the final word for this morning. The inexpressible joy of Jesus comes from believing Jesus is doing More than we see. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you see it there twice in that verse? Peter talks about the fact that we haven't seen Jesus. And then he doubles down on that by saying, we don't see him now. Our faith in Jesus goes beyond what we can see. Now, there's a lot more to this than I could point out in just a few moments. But it most definitely includes the fact that right now we don't see Jesus. So we can't see all that Jesus is doing while we wait for his return. We're in the waiting place. And in the waiting place, we're kept somewhat in the dark. We don't see how Jesus is working all things together for his glory and our good, but he is. We don't see how he's ruling over the affairs of this world, but he is. We don't see how he's accomplishing all of God's good plan or fulfilling every prophecy of the Bible, but he is. And joy comes in believing that Jesus is doing more right now. He's doing more than you can see and more than our news reporters are telling us. Jesus is doing more. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says this. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. As I read that verse, I thought about something. It's that my mom is one of the all-time great Christmas gift getters in the history of Christmas. I mean, she's just really good at it. And one of the joys that I had as a small child during Christmas came the moment mom sat all five of us boys down and placed us under strict orders not to go into her and dad's room. You can't go in, boys. The time has come. We knew what that meant. We couldn't see what mom was up to, but here's what we knew. Oh, we knew it was good because her room in that moment became an extension of Santa's workshop. It was a veritable North Post North Pole outpost right there in our home. She was working on Christmas morning for us and we weren't allowed to see it. We couldn't see it, but we knew it was going on. And because we knew it was going on, we rejoiced even though we couldn't see it because Christmas morning was on its way. We took out a candy cane on that 25-day calendar every single day because Christmas morning was on its way. We didn't know what she'd do. We just knew she was doing it. I could barely sleep on Christmas Eve. Guys, I remember as a little kid literally laying in bed, shaking with anticipation and ADD and some of the caffeine and mom's sweet tea, but mostly anticipation. (laughs) And I would lay there and Christmas Eve for me was a long night of joy-filled anticipation. You know why? It was a long night because joy was coming in the morning. And don't you know that in an infinitely greater way, brothers and sisters, that's the joy that Jesus brings when we trust in him. He is preparing a place just for you in the house of God our Father. He has gifts to give you that are infused with the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And they're waiting just for you. And he is on his way. You can't see all that he's doing, but the long night is almost over and morning is about to break. Glory awaits, so rejoice with great joy because the Christ of Christmas is coming soon. And that is the joy of Jesus rooted in the hope of his return. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? And as you think about the 
truth of this word, would you ask the Holy Spirit to expose whether or not you are trusting in Jesus? You may have realized by the work of God's spirit in you that you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right now, would you call on Jesus? Acknowledge that you have sinned and broken God's holy law. Acknowledge you can't fix yourself. You can't make yourself right. And by faith, would you trust in Jesus? And he is the gift of God that brings you salvation. Jesus lived the perfect life you failed to live and died the death you should have died as a payment for sin at the cross. And though he died, he didn't stay dead, but rose from the dead and is coming again. Right now, would you confess your faith, your belief in those truths about yourself, your faith in the truth about Jesus, and right now call on Christ to save you. Place your trust, your dependence, your confidence in him. And him alone. For those of you who'd say, I'm trusting in Jesus. Would you pray for the inexpressible joy of Christ to fill your heart? Would you bring the grievous and sad difficult things that you are walking through to him and acknowledge him. Don't feel guilty about grieving grievous things. Bring them to the Father. Acknowledge your pain and the trial. And ask him for joy to accompany that pain. Would you give thanks that Jesus is coming again to receive you to himself that where he is you might be also forever in the house of God. Give thanks with joy for the promise of Jesus. Father, we thank you for Christ that he has come and is coming again and that because of the hope we have in the person and the work of Christ, we have reason to rejoice. Father, thank you. And Lord, in the midst of the darkness of this age, the difficulty of our own personal lives, our own stories of how brokenness have touched our homes, our families, we thank you that while we grieve, we still have joy. Thank you that Jesus will make all things new, including us. He will set all things straight. He will restore and redeem every broken place. And he is coming again to receive us to himself. Father, we thank you for Jesus with joy. Receive us this morning as an offering of praise even as we receive your gift of life and joy in Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray.